1: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Got a little bit of mystery, swag, and espionage mixed in this week. It's episode 475 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and man, do I have a lot of great guests. This week, including, yeah, you know, the From Season 2 finale was this weekend. Did you really think I wasn't going to have anybody on to talk about that? So I'll chat with Scott McCord about that, who plays Victor. Also Liz Saunders, who plays Donna. I'll chat with the both of them. Also going to talk to the cast of the Apple TV Plus series, Swagger, which second season is rolling along right now on Apple TV Plus. I'll chat with some members of the cast there. There's a new Marvel Heroines novel out called Mockingbird Strikeout. Author Maria Lewis will join me to talk about that. So, that alone is fun enough, but I'll also talk about Marvel's Secret Invasion, the premiere episode, and Chevalier, the movie from Searchlight Pictures, now out on a Digital HD. Going to talk about that as well. So, I guess we better get to it, huh? Let's talk to the cast of From Season Two, about to end. Let's get some insight into that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Lord Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Will the search for answers finally pay off? The season two finale of From is going to be happening this Sunday on MGM Plus, and of course, I got to catch up with a couple members of the town to talk about this, okay, and find out not just where we're at right now, kind of get a check in on certain people, but also maybe a little bit of where we're going as well. So I want to start off with Liz Saunders, who plays Donna, and boys, Donna been through a lot in the last couple of episodes, so I have to talk to Liz about that for sure. Liz, how are you doing? It's wonderful to talk to you again.
2: Thank you, you too. I will never forget the name of your podcast. It's one of my favorites.
1: That's right, I remember you saying it. I think it's actually it my
2: point. favorite.
1: There you go, I appreciate that. So Donna's been one of my favorite characters on the show this season, obviously, but I want to take you back just a little bit Liz I want to go back to the end of eight beginning of nine Randall's got you tied to the tree we have no idea what's going to happen to Donna I know you guys can kind of get the episode you don't get the episodes that far in advance so as you're reading eight before you go into nine are you thinking is this it am I a goner here
2: I didn't on this one I don't know really why but I kind of thought I'd get it I think get you get a
1: phone call (laughs) i would like to (laughs) think so but you never know
2: Uh, yeah no that that it didn't there will i'm sure there'll be an episode where i'm like oh my god i'm done like we're
1: obviously glad that it worked out the way it did and obviously boyd there to save the day which doesn't hurt i want to talk about that though because i feel like that dynamic doesn't get talked about enough in this show that dynamic between Boyd and donna because we've seen him lift her up her lift him up especially in this season so what is it about them that helps them balance each other out like that, you think?
2: I think they, in their own way, as much as they don't always agree, they are both ready to be truthful with one another. Although, he, you know, he did hide a few things from me. but he comes a from little bit. They're receptive to one another, even even when they disagree. Harold and I, I think, really, like just also just kind of have a relationship that we, i like to think I'm not imagining this. Harold and I have a relationship where we can just leap into a scene and play. So sometimes what comes out is just very natural responses to one another's behavior, you know, on top of the excellent writing, of course. But so some some of it's just very instinctual. We're just throwing our responses at each other and punching back
1: well i don't think you're imagining it because it shows for sure it definitely shows
2: awesome it's awesome to have a scene
1: partner like it it really does when you got harold you know you're good i want to finding the joy for these characters there's not a lot of that to be had Mm -hmm. in this town but with with fatima and ellis and we know that we know that the wedding is going to be happening so how important was it for donna specifically to just have a happy few minutes with those two
2: it was absolutely vital Like, you know, like, we don't know in life when we need those things. Sometimes we know we know we're down or stressed. But I think other human beings in a positive situation can really lift things. And I don't know that you know, before it happens. I know that that happens to me in real life that I can feel like I've hit a bit of a low. And then I spent an hour with a friend in the backyard. And I'm good to go. I'm happy again. And I, and she, I, she loves them. Like she has a real soft spot for those guys. So I think having a positive moment makes a huge difference to her.
1: Hard not to have a, hard, a soft spot for those two, for sure. No, it is
2: not hard. And they're awesome in real life.
1: Oh, I, I know it because I've talked to them both and I know yeah. how amazing they are. So things are really nuts at Colony House to say the least. I feel like because there's so much going on, maybe so many people are being left unchecked. I don't know, but is this, in your opinion, is this the craziest that Colony House has ever been?
2: I think in the last two episodes, yes, since Donna's been there. I mean, who knows who was in Colony House before? Oh,
1: thought... see, you're going to throw that back at me. I am. I no see where you're going with this. Okay.
2: Myself, like, I've always, I have always wondered who built Colony House. That's true. But I never thought about who was in there before Donna turned up. Hmm. But I think I know that since Donna's been there, it's the craziest it's ever been.
1: No doubt. That, that's just what we need, Liz, is more questions. So that, that's <laughs> <laughs> we're going to throw that. We'll throw that on the pile and we'll, we'll get to that.
2: I have a bit of a thing with the question thing that I go, and who's got the answer to everything in life?
1: Right. Exactly. Especially, you know, in, like,
2: especially in this show. Yeah.
1: No doubt about it. This one's a simple one. And I'm just going to throw it out there because I want to get your reaction. What the hell is Tabitha thinking?
2: Hmm that is, it's not as simple as you think. I'm gonna. I have to go out on a limb here because I don't know what she's thinking in terms of her immediate need, but I think there's a deep mother drive to fix things as a mother. And I say that as a mother, that sometimes there are things that you don't have a conscious, conscious sense of what you're doing as a mom, but that you have your instinct just is driving you. That's my answer.
1: That's a darn good answer, too. And you'll find out why when you see the season two finale of <laughs> From on MGM Plus at Sunday night. Do not, do not let this get spoiled for you on social media. Make sure you're watching it. Do not. Right away.
2: Yes. Donna Absolutely. will forget you.
1: That's right. Liz Saunders, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: But that's not it. I also, got a chance to talk to Scott McCord, who plays Victor. And if anybody's played a really big role in what's coming up to the end of the season, it is Victor for sure. So let's ask Scott about that a little bit. How you, how you doing, Scott?
3: Hey, I'm good, James. How are you?
1: Good, man. Good. Really excited to talk to you as we head into the finale. But I want to rewind yeah. a little bit because I think one of the best scenes all season, bar none, was the scene where Victor has those memories come flooding back of his sister and the drawings and all that yeah. stuff. So let's go back to that for just a couple Thank minutes. You. What was yeah. it like filming that scene? And I think that's going to be one of the most memorable ones. No matter how long this show runs, that one's always going to stick out to me. What was that oh. like?
3: Thanks so much, man. First of all, let me, that's, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah. I was blessed with a, a, a really beautiful story arc this season that really landed, I mean, that was just one of the milestones of it that landed there for Victor as his, you know, as his memories are coming back to him. Shooting it was interesting. You know, I, I didn't know, we never know what the milestones are going to be for our characters, obviously. So they they just arrive in the script form and then we open them and we go, okay, page one. Okay, it looks like I survived this episode. That's good. And then you know you get. I saw that, and I was really floored because I'll admit this, James, this was not what I was expecting. You know what I mean? Definitely not. I didn't see that coming. So the approach to it really was just just using what I was given there. I still think that Victor is is still piecing this together. But to really find a way for myself as an actor to show up on that day. I mean, I'm working with Catalina. I'm in mean, the safety and the beauty of that of that cast and crew, and and uh, Brad Turner was directing. And and just going in and knowing that I was safe to go as far as I wanted to with that, and just figuring out a way in my prep to figure out how I can arrive at that moment, which is always a challenge as an actor, right? Like, how do you open up, a tr- how does it, how do you, you know, when that news arrives, how do you play the surprise of it all? How do you, because in film, and as you know, right, there's a number of setups with camera, you have to do it a number of times. So it's just, you know, there's a, there's a number of technical factors of like figuring out, okay, you know, I've got so much steam, like how many times am I doing this? And, you know, and and I think it just, just doing my best to go for the, the truth of it. Yeah. I mean, overall, I was really pleased with how that the whole episode turned out and those were some of my favorite scenes with Catalina because I think they're also the most connected Victor is with someone that's the closest relationship now that it seems like he has.
1: Yeah. It's funny that we've kind of drifted into that this season yeah. and kind of given what you just said, it mm-hmm. seems like, Tabitha kind of wants to take the ball and run with it and follow the same path that Victor's mother did as well. There's two sides. Is there two sides to that for him? The side of let's see this through, but also the I can't watch somebody do this again side as well?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think I absolutely. That's it. And that's a that's an amazing question. Yeah. It's very conflicting, isn't it? You know, on one hand, it's like sending somebody off into the fret, you know, like who knows what's going to happen. This could mean, this is all, it's all life or death. I mean, I think that that's ultimately the bottom line, right? I think that that's what Tabitha brings forward to me in that bedroom scene, you know, where she comes in and sits down and goes, Victor, look, I know you're scared, but bad things are going to happen anyway. You know, it's all like, and I think that, that maybe, you know, that there's this idea too, right. That, <laughs> I don't know. You know. Victor's not convinced that there is a way out of this thing, but I think he's definitely getting a feeling, this connection with this mother figure that he has a greater purpose here and she really needs him. And I think that that's what I was responding to more of, even as reluctant as, I, as he is.
1: Do you think he also finds that in Ethan as well? Because I kind of feel like there was a real turning point recently in his yeah. relationship with Ethan too. And and not just not just touch on that a little bit, but also how hard is it to mm-hmm. be mean. Damn, when you have to meet when you had to be me too, because this poor kid just wants a friend, and and you you've got to feel awful, man.
3: I know it's so true. I know. Well, I love that. I loved what they did with that relationship this season. It was, it was great. And I think, um, I mean, he's such a little. He's a pro. He's the, you know, Simon is the greatest. And I, you know, I have. I mean, if this answers it, here's a quick little funny anecdote. So that scene where we're outside, and we haven't seen each other in a while, and he shows up, and I'm blowing him off, and I turn to him and I say, "The orange marker that you gave me." A bad gift he kept we kept laughing and he kept corpsing in it like he thought that was the funniest thing so you know it's not difficult in the sense that like I feel like he's really getting hurt I think he uh you know he and I have such a you know we have a great Great little friendship outside of all that that he knows. Again, to talk about safety, that we can walk in and do any of that stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it's not hard to uh, to do it in the you know certainly in the moment. But again, he's just such a little pro, and and the, and those two scenes they turned out pretty pretty sweet, pretty lovely.
1: I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one that laughed at that honestly because yeah. I laughed at that same <laughs> scene and I was like, do I feel bad for laughing at this? Because I kind of do. <laughs> Really, really quickly, Scott, before I let you yeah. go, of course, we've got the finale coming up. We don't want to spoil anything, yeah. but what are your hopes for, for maybe a season three? What would you like to see in a potential yeah. third season for Victor?
3: I just want to see, I'm curious to see where they're going to with Jeff, Pinkner, and John, where they're going to gonna take the storyline now in terms of these connections that I've made, you know, with Tabitha, with Jade, for instance, and, and in terms of that greater purpose thing that I was just talking about. How that's all just sort of gonna to come together. Like how more, how much more ingrained is is Victor going to become in in the town, you know, and his connections with people. I think I'm sort of interested to see where that goes. Cause that would change him, you know, obviously. He's already starting.
1: No doubt about that. We'll have to see yeah. what happens in the season two finale, which is gonna be this Sunday night on MGM Plus. Make sure you're watching it right away. Don't oh, wait because yeah. some stuff yeah. really does happen, especially with this guy here. Scott McCord, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really, you, really Jay. appreciate it.
3: Appreciate you.
1: And let me just tell you, there's so much more with Victor and Tabitha in this season two finale that, that you're just so going to love. There's another scene in particular that I'm just going to remember between the two of them and I can't spoil anything. I mean, I've seen it and and I can't spoil anything and I, and I can tell you this much, don't let this be spoiled for you. There's some big stuff that happens in this episode. I promise you that. Make sure you're watching the season two finale from on MGM Plus on Sunday night. Yeah set your appointment whatever you do to set appointments do that to make sure you're watching this as it happens because you're not going to want to miss it again thanks to liz and scott for joining me to talk about from and the season two finale coming up up next going to get into the world of marvel and talk about marvel's secret invasion i will drop some spoilers on that one though next on the down and nerdy podcast
4: yo yo this is Camp Rush johnson from the cast of Batwoman. and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast This week,
1: we're showing a little bit of Swagger. Season two of Swagger is now streaming on Apple TV+. And this is a great, great show. If you're a basketball fan or if you're just a fan of good drama, this has a lot of both. So I definitely want to bring this show to your attention if you're not watching it already. As a matter of fact, I get a chance to talk to some amazing members of the cast. I actually want to start with Isaiah Hill, who plays Jace and Corvajine Wallace who plays Crystal and you know that there's a little bit of chemistry between the two of them in season one maybe we'll catch up with them about what's going on with that in season two but a heck of a lot more pressure too let me talk to them about that
5: how you doing thanks for having how y'all us doing?
6: he's going through thanks, a sugar man. rush right now Please it means a
5: lot I got a sugar rush man I'm ready to let loose what's going on what are we talking Bro, oh, we
1: are we are in it we are in it right now we're so in it <laughs> I'm glad you guys are excited because, you know, season two, it's senior year. Yeah, That's always fun, but I mean, there's pressure there as well. Isaiah, I want to start with you because how is Jace handling this pressure, man? Because there's a lot being thrown at him right now.
5: Yeah, it's a lot being thrown at it, but these are all the problems we wanted, you know? It's good problems. Besides that one that's lingering from the eighth grade, and we got to figure out how to handle that one, but. I, you know, I trusted Jace this year. Jace, you know, he knows what he has to do this year. He knows what kind of role model he has to be in his community and to his family and his friends. He has really strong integrity, and we're, I'm really excited to see how
1: people take to that. No doubt, no doubt. Quvengine, we, we can't just act like Crystal doesn't have any pressure either. I mean, basketball pressure, academic pressure, life pressure, how she handled things.
6: I think she tries to do it with grace as much as possible. I also think that she is strong. She is super powerful and one of a kind. I also think that she has a support system. Whether she likes it or not, she has people that are there for her and loyal to her. And vice versa, she is very loving and loyal to her people as well. And it's also nice to see that both of her parents are in the picture and are right there in her corner cheering her on all the way.
1: You talk about that love and that loyalty, but it seems like Jace and Crystal have kind of started to drift apart a little bit. So, but they've got a lot of history. We get to see that some of the flashbacks as well. Do you think that they're gonna maybe find their way back to one another at some point? Corvenginelle, I'll start with you on that
6: one. I think it's a possibility. I mean, season one, the chemistry was just undeniable. So I don't see how they could stay away from each other for too long, but I will say I ship them. Me personally,
1: just saying. Not just you personally. I mean, I was I was going to ask Isaiah that as well. Dude, I mean, what are you doing,
5: right? <laughs> 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 Dog, you're going to put me on the spot. I mean, I'm I'm here, man. I'm here. I'm present. I think season one, you know, just like Jace, I really wanted to get through it. I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but season two... I've really like locked in on the craft and a big part of that has just been getting close with Kovindjanae and you know, like we, our, our friendship and relationship has just grown so strong this year. We spent a lot of time together and you know, we talk telepathically now so it's like,
1: it is what it is and it was what it was. <laughs> I can see the waves, man. It's they're just flying you back see and them, forth. Right? So yeah, it's you see yeah, it, right? I, I can see it. I can All see right, it. But do you it's, see the waves
5: it. in that background, dog? I was brushing hard as hell. I mean, like 20 <laughs> minutes a night trying he to get is them. Yeah, so waves. proud of them waves. <laughs> I'm proud because I ne- I mean, you might never see that again unless, you know, I get hired two, two, for something.
1: Hey, bro. Come on that. They, I mean, you've had you've had some pretty good you've had some pretty good moves in this season and the last season as well. I mean, let's talk strictly about the basketball here for a second, because this this show about as authentic as I've ever seen on the court. So do you think the game is a step up this season a little bit? Maybe for the both of you, actually step up for, for the both of you, just the basketball aspect.
5: I would say. I think yes. It was elevated, yes. It was elevated. The camera? I, n- there's there's now there's some master classes going on in season one too. I mean, there's the Jace has an all-around game in season one. He's making mid ranges, he's making threes, he's dunking the ball. This year you see him just become more of a floor general and you know, being a leader on his team, we've got some underclassmen that are coming up in the game that are really important to, you know, make sure they're, they're ready to roll. You know, it's gotten a lot more explosive this year. I have to thank our background actors for really lifting the atmosphere this year. We didn't have them our first year. You know, the gym just gets super loud and super crazy. So
1: I'm excited to see how people take to it. There's a lot of hype to be had, and you guys will see that when season two of Swagger comes back to Apple TV Plus this coming Friday. Quvenzhané Isaiah, thank you guys both so much for your time. Friday. Really appreciate it. Thank you. thank you so much. Now let's talk about the adults in the room a little bit. Maybe influencers in a certain way might be a good way to put it. Chanel Azoro plays Jenna Carson, Jace's mama. We also have the Orlando Jones who plays Emery Price, who's the AD of Cedar Cove, the the, the school. That Jace goes to, and then you also have Tristan Mac Wilds, who plays Alonzo Powers, who's going to be a major power player in this show this season for sure. Let's kind of get their perspective on this season because they've they've all got a lot going on. Hey James, hey. how are What's you? Up? What's up, What's sir? up, everybody? How you doing? We're good, We're good man. Feeling good. Excellent, excellent. Loved season two from what I've seen so far. Anyway, Chanel, I actually want to start with you because okay. Jenna's baby boy. Becoming Mm. a man this season a little Mm, bit. Is it more difficult for her or more proud for her, though, to watch Jace kind of start to become his own man? Because I know it's Mm. difficult for moms.
6: Yeah. I think as a mom, he's doing a pretty good job. So I think it's a mixture of all of that. It's like a bittersweet. Pretty soon he'll be out of the home. And so this is a delicate time where this is your last shot, Jenna. Get it right before he's off doing his own thing and you're not watching him all the time. Yeah. Well, well, we'll has got a pretty good track record. An empty, master. Master. An yeah, empty that's nester. An right. empty There you we go. For right.
1: real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't re- yeah. I didn't realize that until just now. You're, you're right. That's, that's interesting. Orlando, I saw that you said uh, in, an, in an interview recently that this was one of the more special jobs that you've had in your career. Can you expand
4: on that a bit? Why is that exactly? Look, I think there are very, there are lots of different roles obviously out there, but there are very few of them that speak so directly to the time and the moment, right? If you're really looking at art, right, it obviously usually flies in the face of the moment and mm-hmm. it obviously challenges the moment. This does that in a, in a really particular way. And it's a bit of a roller coaster ride because it, it has all the joys, right? But it has the lows and it takes you through the tough parts too. Rarely is there ever a why, scripted content usually there's just a here's the hot mess that happened (laughs) (laughs) in in this case these characters are desperately trying to to protect and save some younger ones while building bridges for other younger ones to follow and in that sense i think there's a, a more specific carefulness to the storytelling yeah i've known reggie bythewood he's easily my favorite writer I haven't had a chance to work with him in about 20 years. I think the last time we worked together was actually 2003. <laughs> so okay. for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is this cast of people I get to work with. I know everybody says that in every junket, but like I mean that <laughs> from my soul. They're incredible people, people that I want to know. Yeah. Uh, normally you walk away, your friends ish with people but you're not checking in you know you do your holiday check-in we actually do check in with each other we check Check in with each other so for a (laughs) lot of different reasons largely having to do with the people at the top of this project it's just a special project so i feel you know like this is what black privilege looks like. You you hear about white privilege all the time. <laughs> this is black privilege. <laughs> it's the opportunity to work with these types of people, you know, with you know, Apple T V plus and with C B S and Paramount, but really with with Reggie yeah. and Chanel and Tristan and Isaiah and O'Shea. I mean, this kind of goes on. It's it's a beautiful people. It's a beautiful show, so hopefully people will check it out. Very well
1: said, Orlando. Very well said. Tristan, I gotta say, man, I love those early scenes between Alonzo and Emery, just watching the posture and feel each other out, man, how much fun were those scenes specifically for you and to just kind of watch that dynamic growth throughout the season? Cause, Cause I was loving it, man. It
6: was, it was amazing. I've been a fan of Orlando for, for years since I was a kid, you know, uh, I'm talking about like mad TV days mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, to be able to be here and to and to play with him on such a on such a level, you know, already respecting him as an actor, not even just as a comedian, but as an actor, and seeing what he, seeing that, you know, he not only challenges me as an actor, but seeing how he we get a chance to kind of dosey doe mm-hmm. in very early scenes of this of the season. It's it was it's it was it was amazing. It was amazing.
1: And you'll get to see a lot of that play out throughout season two when the when the show comes back. Swagger back on Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. this coming Friday, and it's going to be a great second season. I can already tell you that right now. Orlando, Chanel, Tristan, thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank, you. thank sure. you, man. Have a great one. And to me, I was instantly hooked by this show. I, I honestly had been late to the party on Swagger, went back and watched season one, and the, the beginning of season two especially is just so, so good. It's not just about basketball. It's about these characters and their relationships with one another and the deepening of those relationships and the coming of age of these kids becoming men and women in this season is really incredible. So to get to talk to them about the show and put the show on your radar if it's not already, please watch Swagger on Apple TV Plus. It is a must watch show for sure. Especially if you're a basketball fan. I, I've been I, I've loved basketball for most of my life. I was actually a coach for a couple of years as well, so I've got, you know, obviously this is a fandom that is near and dear to me for a lot of reasons, but this is a show you should be watching for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with basketball as well because there's some great acting performances too. Make sure you're watching Swagger Season 2 now on Apple TV+. Thanks to my wonderful guests from Swagger for joining me to talk about Season 2 this week. Up next... Let's talk about Marvel's Secret Invasion. My spoiler-filled review of that series premieres next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics, from personal stories to hot-button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, this is Wim Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Is this really Marvel's Andor? We'll have to find out, because Secret Invasion is now streaming on Disney plus since the first episode dropped on like Wednesday, I'm going to go ahead and do this with some spoilers. If you don't mind. So if you haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, you might want to skip ahead a little bit, but I got to say they really could have called this old man. Fury. (laughs) That's that's kind of how I was thinking because that's the, that's the vibe you get at the beginning of this. Things like, ah, Fury's washed up. Ah, Fury's too old. Ah, you should have seen this coming and you didn't sort of thing. So, and, and he kind of, he looked and felt old. Now, granted Samuel L. Jackson, no disrespect. A little bit older than when he first started in the MCU, and of course, you know they de-aged him for a little bit for for Captain Marvel. So we you get we get to see him younger a little bit. So you see him a little bit older. I like the old man Fury look personally. I think that's I th- I think it was great, and I love his vibe too. You get he for some reason he's more laid back now than he used to be. I don't know if it's because you know I've been through it. I've been you know I was dusted in the blip sort of thing. So maybe that's part of it, and but you know that's also something they bring up in the show. It's like, hey, did this change you, dude? You know, getting dusted out. Did that change you? And now that you're back, you're you're kind of different. So we see him maybe struggling with that a little bit. But I am here for Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn together. Him and Fury and Talos. That relationship for some reason just works. And then you want to bring Maria Hill into this thing. So I'm into that vibe right away as I'm watching this thing, right? And then I kind of see this skull the scroll rebel group that's going on, and they really have their own little camp that they have there. They have their their little like society that they have off in the woods sort of thing. And you kind of get to see Amelia Clark is almost like the ambassador right? She, she's the one that's bringing in the strays to kind of help the Skrulls. But then you look at Gravik, who's play, played by Kingsley Ben Adir and very, very well right off the bat, by the way. And he's a little bit more on the extreme side. And he, he's the extremist that kind of is pushing the agenda of, hey, we need to take this planet over for ourselves sort of thing. So now, and, and you know, the promises that Fury made are brought up, but uh, not just by, by by that group, but by Talos as well. So that is part of it. So I, I do kind of hate, though, that they kind of try to always give you the, well, you know, the villain has a point sort of thing. Like, do we always need to give the villain a you know, part sympathy, do we always need to give them a reason, sort of thing? Sometimes they're just bad people. So maybe you want to agree with the Skrulls and and their, you know, and their reasoning. That that's fine. But do you agree with how they're going about it, trying to get you know dirty bombs and blow them up, in places, sort of thing? I don't know that that's necessarily the way to go. But you know, that's another argument for another time. But you kind of find, we kind of find out that Amelia Clark's character and and I think it was Gia was her, was her name. If I'm, if I'm misremembering that, I'm sure you'll hammer me on social media, but we find out that this is Talos's daughter and he kind of tries to play that sympathetic ear. Right. And, and she brings up her mother who's no longer, who's no longer alive and sort of thing. So he's kind of turning her to their side, like saying, Hey, I know that we were promised certain things and I know that you deserve this X, Y, and Z, but do you think this is really the way to go about it? I'm not sure. So She's kind of, he's kind of trying to get her to play double agent sort of thing. And you see that work out to varying degrees, but there was a lot happening in this first episode. First, I thought it was going to be a slow burn and then you kind of get slow burn action, slow burn action, slow burn action. So some of the stuff I think is going to be a slow burn, but then they're trying to throw these action bits in there as well, especially that thing at the end where you see all of those different explosions and chaos ensuing and sort of of stuff like that. And then, this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to talk about, and that is that we see Maria Hill get shot. We don't know if she survives. Does not look like she survives? Damn it, she better survive. I'm just saying that right now. I am not losing Maria Hill in this first episode. Do you hear me, Marvel? We're not doing this. We're not doing this right now. This is one of my favorite characters that's kind of been popping in and out of the MCU. Don't you dare take her away from me right now. I know that Kobe Smulders is set for six episodes in this series. I've, I saw the IMDb. So I'm assuming that she's okay, but I don't know for sure. So I'm going to need some confirmation on that immediately. I mean, I, I I don't want to know that she's just going to be around in flashback scenes for the rest of the show. So just that was just something that kind of bugged me right off the bat. But at the same time, I get done watching this first episode. And I know we've only got six episodes, right? And despite the stuff that was going on, and while I think they set up some interesting espionage aspects, while I think they... They certainly established their villain. They established who's going to be going after them. And they established that Fury isn't exactly in good standing with S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, these other organizations anymore. But also, I get to the end of this first episode and I go, eh, that's kind of how I felt about it. It was was very ho-hum. It was kind of maybe a little bit forgettable in a certain way this first episode. I wasn't wowed. I wasn't really grabbed other than the whole Maria Hill thing, but that was more of a trigger than a grab quite frankly. So I didn't feel that anxiousness of having to watch the next episode like I did with a Loki or even a Moon Knight sort of thing. That was another show I feel like grabbed me right away. So while this has a very good cast and some solid performances and, you know, maybe you don't want to even call the Skrulls a villain in in this particular sense. But there were also some tropes in here, you know, the whole thing with the president saying, oh, well, now as far as we're concerned, they're AWOL. It's like, do we need to play the AWOL card? Really? Do we have to play that every freaking time? That's just kind of a tired trope that I really want to go away at this point. But that, that's just one example. I don't really want to go down that road too much. So it was just kind of on the first episode was just kind of there for me. And I don't know if that's what you really want out of your first episode. So... I'm going to go ahead, obviously I'm going to keep watching this because I'm I'm interested in the story, but I really hope this gets better in the second episode, and this first episode is more of a stage setter, so hopefully it gets better in episode two. Marvel's Secret Invasion just kind of came and went for me, honestly, and that kind of bums me out a little bit, but you know, who knows? it's Marvel, so you never know when they're going to pop out and surprise you. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first episode of Marvel's Secret Invasion. Up next, going to stay in the Marvel world talk about a new novel in the Marvel Marvel heroine series, Mockingbird Strikeout. I'll talk about that with author Maria Lewis. Chat with her next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: You guys know I love talking about Marvel novels and I happened to come across one that I thought was really interesting called Mockingbird Strikeout. You know the name Mockingbird. You probably love her. She's got one of those followings. And marvel and speaking of following she has one of her own as well maria lewis author thank you so much for taking your time what are you doing
0: hi thanks so much thanks so much for having me and um thanks so much for for giving a shit. it's delightful to talk to people who are excited about the book
1: i mean how can you not be when you got a character like mockingbird on oh the forefront we'll talk about you know joining the marvel world here in just a second but i actually want to talk about mockingbird because like I, like I said she's one of those it characters that has this like special following within the Marvel fandom. So how excited is it for you to tackle a character like this?
0: Oh, she was like a dream character for me. I've always, one of my favorite things about Marvel broadly is that I think they have one of the best toy boxes. Like obviously you have all of your characters that people are really familiar with in the MCU, your Iron Man's or Captain America's, et cetera. But because they have existed for so long, the benefit of that is you have this amazing deep bank of characters that would be considered like you may be B or C list characters compared to your mo- more well-known ones right even though Iron Man would have probably been considered B or C list until the MCU really right. took off mm-hmm. right yeah 100% so it has been something of a dream I guess you could say to get in there and to play with some of those characters that I loved that every time they made an appearance, you know, whether it was, it was usually small, but even if it was just like, you know, Bobby pops up obviously a lot in West Coast Avengers. And I don't know if I necessarily would have been drawn to West Coast Avengers if I didn't know Bobby was in it. Like she was the reason I was reading that because I wanted every bit of Mockingbird I could get. And there's other characters like She-Hulk and Tigra, for instance, who are sort of within that world and Black Widow for a big stretch there in the 90s. And so I was very excited because there's this, bank of characters like X-Men, I think also has a bunch of really great ones lower for instance, who's a Pacifica mm-hmm. X-Men I'm Pacifica. So that's a character that I was always like any little morsel of representation you're excited about, but also like your Jubilees, your rogues and any time that there was the possibility you could pitch on something like this. I was always telling myself it would never happen, but like you got to roll the dice. You know what I mean? You might, you only need one. Yes. And so I had pitched on a whole bunch of characters and mocking, but I thought was going to be a long shot because I know she has a real cult fandom, and obviously she popped up in Agents of Shield, so her like general fan base has expanded a little bit because of Adrian Pilecki's incredible representation of her on that show. So I was just cautiously optimistic that maybe she would be the character that I got to play with, and it ended up being the case.
1: So you're going to make me go off of my first tangent here for a second <laughs> okay, because of go, what, you because <laughs> what you just mentioned. Just because what you just mentioned, you you mentioned Adrian Pilecki, and I, I yeah, totally I love agree her. with you. I loved her portrayal. Of the character, but she was there was supposed to be a spinoff of, yes, Agents they of shut Field, it. most wanted that was, mm-hmm. you know, killed before it was even brought out. So I feel like fans are going to see this and be like, finally, did you kind of have that <laughs> feeling, too, where you're getting to take this care of like, OK, well, it might not be TV, right? You still mm. get to finally give her the story that she deserves that she didn't get to have on television.
0: Yeah well the thing with Bobby historically not just in the comics but also like in Agents of Shield you're part of an ensemble right so it's like you have a different character might shift through and they're leading the A-plot week to week but generally speaking Bobby was kind of always defined by her proximity to men, like her first introduction in Astonishing mm. Tales. She was sort of like one of Kazar, which is such a bizarre character, one of Kazar's many hectic love interests, and Spider-Man, same sort of deal. She was like, I'm no femme fatale. And, you know, that's just, it's a different time. You can't necessarily, I feel, judge things from the perspective of 2023 when it's written in, you know, 1974 or whatever. So I had always been really intrigued and enticed by the prospect of sort of trying to liberate Bobby from the context of men, right? What happens when she really does quote unquote strike out on her own. And some of my favorite episodes of agents of shield, particularly obviously season two and three are where Adrian Blakey plays Bobby and Nick blood. Who's amazing. I feel as Lance Hunter come into play and Lance sort of being this problem solving character way to, to, Fix the issue of not being able to include Hawkeye in the TV series, but them still wanting to have this ex-husband plot point, right? Which is one of Bobby's big pieces of canon. I thought it was a really clever soul for that. And I loved the chemistry and the magnetism between the two of them. When they got written out of the show to branch off and have their own pilot, which they shot. And I don't know, I'm sure you have sneaky people who've um flicked you a link and you've seen that. I it. haven't,
1: I-, I haven't seen it. I'm trying haven't seen it yet wonder woman's another story but i've, I've i haven't oh. seen that one yet
0: oh i enjoyed that as well for very different reasons um <laughs> but it was one of those things where it's like you have to shoot your shot right like the odds sure. of most wanted could have been picked up and it gets five seasons so them getting written out of the show would have been totally worth it uh, tragically it did not but that was one of the angles i guess i'd always been intrigued with in terms of bobby and i particularly I love, I have eight books before this uh, that are all dealing with women who have various abilities, right? It's taking classic mythological monsters and giving them a feminist twist. So it's women who have to struggle with great power comes great responsibility etc etc some of them are villains some of them are heroes some of them are just in between but the women who exist within the marvel universe who for the most part are not super powered there are obviously whole comic runs where bobby is or has you know enhanced abilities those characters really intrigued me as well because it is this play field of like gods and monsters and how do you, not to quote the dark universe, but, you know, how do you operate through that world and like, what kind of skills do you have to develop? And you're exceptional by anyone's standards, but yet there's a guy over here who can fly. And there's a chick over here who's like a brilliant lawyer, but can also turn green. And so that sort of juxtaposition of being exceptional and ordinary at the same time within An incredulous world, I think was such a rich playing field and just having the real estate to spend, you know, 85,000 words with Bobby Moores. Like I would have read any book. Uh, I have read every book with Bobby because I love this character. And and I just wanted to sort of try and balance that expectation of her legacy on the page and the screen and like pay homage to that, be respectful to that, pay tribute to it, while also hopefully trying to take the reader somewhere new and take Bobby fans somewhere maybe they hadn't been before.
1: How do you kind of make that balance though? Because you've got all <laughs> that history, you've got all that canon and we know how people feel about their canon, right? But then mm. you've also got Maria over here and you've got <laughs> someone who's written like like almost a hundred Who's Afraid books and created so many characters. <laughs> how do you balance the, I want to bring a little Maria into this with also saying, okay, but I have to remember there's canon over here.
0: Well, it's really interesting because this year in particular, like 2023, I have three books coming out that are all so incredibly different from each other. Obviously, you have this Mockingbird novel, which is in the world of superheroes. I have a slasher called The Graveyard Shift, which is like a millennial scream coming out and a crime, a murder mystery crime book. And then I have an Assassin's Creed novel coming out at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So they're all incredibly different. And it had been sort of interesting, I guess, because with the Supernatural Sisters series, which includes Who's Afraid and The Witch you Caught to Death and stuff like that, that spanned eight books and many years and various short stories and whatever. And so you have this fan base that's really familiar with you. But then my primary job is as a screenwriter on film and television. And so there's an audience that comes with me from that who are familiar with my work through episodes that they've watched or things that they engage with on socials. And then there's things that I'm just, Passionate about like geek culture, you know what I mean? Like, I'm covered in pop culture tattoos. I really live my, like, wear my pop cultural passions on my sleeve, quite literally. So, it ha- you have all these different audiences related to you that are coming to this book. But I would say, majority of the audience, probably 85% of it, have no clue who I am and have never read anything I've written before and are coming to this because it's Marvel, because it's Marvel heroines, which is a line that's like really has a very passionate fandom Mm -hmm. and because it's Bobby. And so it's a combination, I think, of, of trying to balance well understanding that you're probably never going to successfully appease everybody and sort of letting, letting that pressure go, letting that expectation go and trying to write the story that you feel best serves the particular narrative that you've set out to tell the narrative that you've been green lit to tell because you have to go through a very extensive pitching process with Marvel approving at each stage of the of the pitching journey so you can't just suddenly go off reservation and be like surprise there's dinosaurs now um <laughs> could you imagine oh my goodness I would love that so hard but um yeah somebody hired me for that book but just being really conscious of trying to balance those two things.
1: So Bobby's not going to ride a velociraptor. Now I'm <laughs> now I'm, this is totally ruined for me now. And I I, I can't I can't do it.
0: <laughs> I feel like I feel like she has the Chris Pratt Jurassic World character. She would be a very good, you know, substitute there. Oh, Her no, doubt. blue going off on v- adventures.
1: That would be fun. That would be fun. I, fun. I would read that. that. Would be fun. Hello, if mm-hmm. anybody's listening. Uh, <laughs> a studio
0: crossover that literally nobody wants, but you know, the two of us, the two of us are Well, I mean, about
1: there's it. an audience right there. Then that said, we'll just do that exactly. <laughs> so, so Maria, it's it would have been really easy, right, to to take a novel like this. You've got the Marvel logo on the cover to to lean into comic book aspects of things like the Super Soldier Serum, which which you mm-hmm. have in this book, mm-hmm. and things like that. But but I feel like at its core, to me anyway, this is really kind of a cross between like an espionage thing and female empowerment as well. Did you want to kind of give it a little bit different of an angle in that way? Comics have deep meaning. I don't want to say they don't, but did you want to give it a little bit more of a different spin on what we've normally seen from Bobby?
0: Yeah. I think also I was really interested again, like because she, in this version of the story and the pitching process of this, she was, uh, it was specific that she had to have no superpowers per se. Right. So, For me to be able to ground the audience and ground the stakes, I wanted to try and keep her a little bit separate from that world. I also thought the canon, you can tell I've just been obsessing over across the Spider-Verse, the canon event of her and Clint getting divorced is, I think, something that if there's one thing people know about Bobby, it's probably that. That's probably in the top three things they know. So I really wanted to open with that and then immediately leave it so we're subverting expectations of you know if you're expecting this to be all about that it's not necessarily it's about the aftermath of that right and this idea of essentially trying to do a superhero divorce book which is you know some of my favorite comics of all time are very adult themes within the package of the superhero mechanism and the superhero device and so I was thinking about things like out of sight the Steven Soderbergh movie which is one of my favorite films of all time and Mr and Mrs Smith and this idea of a lot of tradecraft and a lot of spycraft mixed with chemistry and interplay between characters but also wanting to move Bobby away from a place that audiences felt they were very familiar with her in, which wasn't just the emotional relationship with Clint, but also the physicality of California. And so I looked at a few different options of physical settings and what I needed the story to service. This essential mystery where you could put all of Bobby's strengths and all of her weaknesses on display to really dissect and dive into. And Oxford was an exciting option (laughs) for me. I, I mean, it's just truly like one of the most interesting settings because there's so much rich history there but there's also so much fascinating modern history there as well and so many like different little options to play with without getting into spoiler territory but it also brilliantly puts her in the backyard of Strike and meant that I could tap into the ring some of those characters that people might have been not as familiar with not just Lance but some of the other Strike entities as well and Try and take people somewhere that they haven't been before. Like my previous books, the Supernatural Sister series, each of those is set in a very specific geographical location, whether that's Berlin or whether that's, you know, Sydney, Australia, or whether that's Boss Castle in Cornwall or Dundee in Scotland. It was about doing a little bit of literary tourism, you know, me going there and experiencing those places and speaking to people who lived there, researching them and making them feel lived in. And I wanted to do that with this story as well i loved the idea of werewolf by night when that dropped like Mm -hmm. the adaptation i should say but this idea of a one shot where you're taking something that people feel like they really know know very well and then moving it somewhere unexpected and doing something unexpected with it and this being just like a little capsule story and that's what i was that was my intent with this whether i succeed or not is really up to the readers but that's what i was essentially trying to do
1: no doubt. And and obviously, this is more about Bobby than anything else. I feel like this book is, but you still have you still have a mission. You still have mm. a goal. And I feel like what you have is more of like a target than a villain. Mm. Like you, mm. you kind of you kind of say, OK, well, every story in Marvel story has to have a villain and you kind of do. So what made you decide to kind of go the route that you did of finding, I'm. I'm just going to say the word target because I don't want to spoil anything, obviously. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what what made you decide to go kind of that route? How much can you tell us without spoiling anything?
0: Well. Bobby's backs, again, this is like the challenge of trying to balance things that are canon and what parts of canon you can keep, what parts you can you can change, etc. Because obviously things get updated, things change in retrospect, like either, you know, super sexist or super racist or super whatever. And so you're constantly trying to stay faithful to the origins of the character while updating it for a modern audience and for a modern lens. Which is what, for me, the best characters do, my favourite characters. I'm a big fan of... The first masked superhero ever, the Phantom. Mm-hmm. I worked on an audio documentary about the Phantom. And what was so fascinating about that character, if, even though for the time that character was very progressive compared to other characters, it was something that it was this white man in the jungle, right? And it was really fascinating to watch how that character evolved and how that character then became essentially the Superman for Papua New Guinea, for India, for all these countries that didn't really get to see versions of themselves represented in comics. And so I'd always been really intrigued by that idea. And that was something that everything I approach, especially with legacy characters like this, it's sort of very similar with the Assassin's Creed book as well, is like, what is the thing that I can bring and what is the thing that I love about the source material and how can I infuse a little bit of myself into it right and in the case of Bobby and the story and the target slash villain if you will it was being aware that there'll be people reading this book who have no idea who Bobby Morse is and might not be familiar with her backstory outside of you know maybe one or two appearances right So again, you're trying to balance people who have lots of knowledge with people who may have none. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to find ways to include people into the story rather than exclude them. So there's Easter eggs in there, obviously, if you are very familiar with who she is, but if you're not, there were still pieces that tied back to her origins. And I was trying to layer in some meaning there about the choices that we make when we're really young and really ambitious and you know, you want everything right now all the time and then how those choices and how those decisions can be colored as an adult when you're looking back and, you know, the things, you know, it's it's like your first relationship compared to your fifth or your sixth, mm-hmm. right? Or like how you raise your first kid compared to your fourth or your fifth or whatever, you know, just the things that you don't know what you don't know until you know it, <laughs> and so
1: no doubt, trying to,
0: yeah, like trying to trying to layer that idea in in the context of Bobby, in the context of who she was as a woman, as a scientist, and as a spy, and trying to sort of balance each of those simultaneously all the time. I feel like I've said balance twenty five times as if I'm in Cirque du Soleil or something.
1: But you're it just was trying to like... you're just trying to center us, make it exactly. make it more zen <laughs> a little bit which is uh, this Zen Zen Australian. You're, you're the first Zen Australian ever. <laughs> wow, I think
0: you might be the first person ever in the history of my life to call me Zen, but let's roll with <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> you set me up for it. <laughs> oh, speaking speaking, yeah, speaking, speaking it. of setting things up, though, because mm. I feel like you, you talk about changes and I feel like everybody in their own story, you have to make changes to certain things. How do you set a reader who's familiar with Bobby and, and her story and is just mm. this huge fan of hers how do you set them up for something in a story like this where you're like, okay, this is going to be a little different. Don't freak uh-huh. out. How do you set a hardcore fan up for something like that so you don't have people screaming at you on, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that?
0: Well, I feel like people are always going to scream at you regardless. <laughs> so you've just got to like, you know, peace out and just like make your Zen closure with it or whatever. But in this particular instance, I'm a massive fan. I love to love stuff. And I particularly, I love all the characters that are in this book, I asked if I could use them because I love them and because I'm a fan of them. Maria Hill, Tigra, She-Hulk, even a little like sneaky Daredevil appearance, Lance Hunter, obviously mm-hmm. other characters who show remain nameless, but pop up in various instances. Hawkeye as well, big fan, but it was trying to sort of come to it from the perspective of like I've been that person I've been reading these books and these stories forever I'm a massive She-Hulk fan for instance and I remember reading this book that came out I want to say it was like 2014 by Marta Acosta which was another Marvel novel and it was called The She-Hulk Diaries and I remember at the time loving She-Hulk on the page but just feeling like that book really took it to another level. It was very adult and it would, the themes were very contemporary and it was sort of like dealing with her as a woman and a corporate entity and dealing with her as like a, you know, somebody like as an adult, like as somebody Mm -hmm. with sexual agency and career drive and all these different things. And so that was very much like a touchstone for me because I was just like, I loved that book and I loved what it had the capacity to do. But also I have read so much of the stuff and I feel like lots of, for instance, Chelsea Kane did such an incredible job on her run. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. She's already done that. And therefore I'm giving the true fans nothing if I'm just repeating that beat. So it was about trying to take a journey that felt gentle. (laughs) You know, you're taking somebody off the beaten path, but you're holding their hands while you're doing it. And I'm sure there'd be people who could be frustrated that there's not more Hawkeye in it or there's not more whatever. But the reason I love Bobby is because of Bobby, not necessarily who she's in a relationship with. And the reason I love her is because of how smart she is and how compassionate she is and how empathetic she is and how cunning she is. And like All of those different elements to her that make her special and have made her such a fascinating character historically, those are sort of the things that I wanted to see. And it's not necessarily you won't pick up on all of them. And like the science has to be balanced with the physicality and the physicality has to be balanced with the character stuff and your witty banter and all those things. But trying to have a really even mix of the core elements that make Bobby who she is while at the same time moving the story somewhere we haven't necessarily been before, which again, geography really helped with that, but so did choosing certain characters. And even things like the the book opens at the Academy Museum in LA, which is there have been lots of stuff with Bobby set in California, but I was like, okay, what are the set pieces we have seen with her? Where are the places she has been physically and interacted with physically? And then where somewhere new I can take her. And at that particular point of writing at the Academy Museum had only just opened up, so I was like, "Okay, cool." I feel like we haven't had that many stories that have, you know, had her riding the shark from Jaws into mm-hmm. a into a crowd of baddies, you know, just like relatable stuff.
1: That was definitely really fun, and and if what she said didn't get you jazzed for this book already, then then I don't know, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you, honestly. But I, I feel do like they're going to be very hand.
0: mad at me uh, destroying <laughs> half of their museum on the page. But oh well. <laughs> you know,
1: hopefully, that doesn't actually happen in real life. Yeah. Before I let you go, Maria, we we you talked about Assassin's Creed a couple times now. How much can you tease for us about what's going to be coming from that? Because I mean, again, there's there's a lot of Assassin's Creed fans that are that are just mm. itching for more Assassin's Creed stuff.
0: Yeah, it really blew me away. Honestly, every time I feel like I have a grasp of fandom, again, as mentioned, because I'm in it and I work in that space, something like the Assassin's Creed novel comes along and the announcement of that just like shut down my phone for. <laughs> for like three days you forget you don't forget but you do kind of forget when you're really in it i'm a huge fan of assassin's creed i think anybody who loves storytelling loves and respects assassin's creed because of the world and i also love i guess i don't want to say alternate history but things where there are stories woven in and around and amongst historical stuff that we know already historical events And so obviously this ties in with the upcoming Assassin's Creed Mirage and the main character of that game. His mentor, Roshan, is the main character of this novel. So it's someone that you've had glimpses of in the games before. But again, similar to Bobby, it's about spotlighting that character, giving them a whole platform to really, you know, get to shine and get to understand some of her backstory, get to understand why she joined the Brotherhood in the first place, the things that are important to her, why she is the way that she is. Yeah, I've just, I've honestly really enjoyed the process. I love working with Ubisoft. I've worked on a game with them for the past few years, not Assassin's Creed, a different project. And just the amount of time and effort and energy they put into research and they put into specificity as a storyteller, it's just like a dream come true that you have that much breadth, I guess you could say. It's very hard to talk about without spoilers as I'm yammering around subjects. <laughs>
1: well, I, I can see them lording over us right now. somewhere <laughs> yeah, over in like, the distance saying, now, Get stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there'll, there'll be plenty of time to talk about that later. So, I'm, And I'm sure we'll definitely do that. But right now, we want to make sure you guys are focused on Mockingbird Strikeout, which is now available wherever books are sold. Consume it. Love it. Demand for more of it and demand for more of her as well. <laughs> Maria Lewis, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for the great questions.
1: And really, even if you're not a Mockingbird fan, I feel like you can enjoy this book on a completely other level because it's just so fun. It's so intriguing. There's there's a bounciness to it in a, in a weird way it, to, to kind of describe it. It's just that it's it, it, the old adage is, you know, it's a page turner, right? Y- and you hate to use a cliche like that, but this is one of those books that as I'm reading and I'm going, okay, well, all right, oh, one more chapter, one more chapter. And that's the mark to me of a good book and a good story. And as somebody who's, who is a fan of Mockingbird, I loved it on that level, but I also loved it on a nice little like espionage thriller level. As well, so make sure you're getting Mockingbird Strikeout wherever books are sold, and maybe check out some of Maria Lewis's other stuff too. Because I'm telling you, she's got she's definitely got some good stuff out there that you need to be reading. Again, thanks to Maria Lewis for joining me to talk about Mockingbird Strikeout. Up next, gonna get a little bit of French history in and do my review of Chevalier from Searchlight Pictures. I'll do that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition
3: Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Let the revolution begin and let it begin with music. I wanted to give you my review of Chevalier, which is now available on digital HD from Searchlight Pictures. And I do want to let you know that Searchlight Pictures did give me a free copy of this for review. All opinions here are my own. And I was going back and forth on whether or not to do spoilers with this because this movie has been out since April. But, I mean, you might already be familiar with Joseph Bologna, which you might not be either. He was the Chevalier... De Saint Georges in France during the time just before the rebellion against Marie Antoinette, and he was the illegitimate son of an African enslaved individual and a French plantation owner and he kind of moved himself up in the ranks as a composer in this high society of France. so this is based on historical events. so if this is not a story for you, you're from, if this is not a story you're familiar with, I don't want to spoil it for you, but at the same time, this is a cool little piece. history that you might not know so i mean being being, sometimes being nerdy is being nerdy about history and that's where i'm at with this so i was super interested in checking this out and he was a a brilliant violinist and composer and he you know dabbled in fencing as well maybe you saw that from the trailer and he kind of earned his way into high society with his talent and his charm and things like that obviously being a black man in, in that era in France was not easy. So he had to deal with all that, but also he kind of just pushed through it and knew that his talents and his ability were going to be enough to make him rise to prominence. And he certainly did until it didn't sort of thing. So, and, and I'll get to that here in a minute. And I will say that this movie had its moments. I mean, really had its moments. There's a nice little duel between Joseph Bologna and Mozart in the beginning of this movie. That's brilliant. I love just the swagger that Joseph Bologna had about him. Kelvin Harmon, Kelvin Harrison Jr. was a big part of that in that role. That there was just you had to exude confidence in his position, right? But then you know once it came time to decide, you know who was going to be the ruler of the roost of the music and opera scene. In France, there was a little bit of pushback there from the society and from Marie Antoinette herself. So that started things down the wrong ro- road. And then there was this competition. they like, oh, right, you present your opera? This person will present their opera, and we'll see who wins sort of thing. And that's where things start to get a little dicey because then you've got Samara Weaving's character of Marie Josephine. There's instant chemistry between the two of them. I don't think it's a spoiler because this is in the trailer. They kind of get together sort of thing. And that's where things start to go downhill a little bit. Because her husband, by the way, is the Marquis Montalembert. And that is not a good thing. Basically, a very high-ranking person in the, let's say, officer's court of, of Marie Antoinette. So this is not a person you want on your bad side. But, you know, obviously, he was a terrible husband sort of thing. Marie Josephine was stuck in a in a loveless and just a probably borderline verbally abusive marriage, right? So she she found the love of her life, and they both did. And Joseph Bullen, they both found the love of their of their lives. But the problem was, was that that was fraught with problems from the beginning. So she's acting in his opera, and I don't want to give too much away, but I will say the one th- one of the th- where's one of the places where this movie kind of went awry for me was they spent a little bit too much time with the, you know, kind of like this, almost like this m- montage of, okay, they're together and they're writing this opera and there's clearly a revolution that's starting to happen in the streets. And it was almost like, you know, like how they had, would have those eighties movie montages with couples where they're holding hands and running down the beach, and, you know, eating ice cream. And one of them falls on the floor and they laugh and there's a song playing stuff. like It felt like that, but in a different way, but like in almost like this, this area in France. <laughs> they're in. So I, I kind of wished that they spent a little bit more time on either one of two things, either the composition of this opera and the revolution that was going on around it and spending more time into, as to whether or not the Chevalier was going to be involved in any way in this revolution or paying attention either, or they spent time deepening the relationship between the two of them and not just montaging it out because you see them build that chemistry without words, but I would have I, I could have seen more of that a little bit if you're going to give me the love story give me the give me the love story so they kind of do but they kind of don't but so and what they ended up doing in in kind of wasting a little bit of time in the middle of this thing is they rush through the ending part and that is the fallout that is the big crash of what ends up happen, happening to Joseph Bologna and it's bad. I mean, it's really, really like uncomfortable bad what ends up happening to him at the end of this thing. And when you have a falling out with the ruler of a country, that's never a good thing in the first place. But when he decides to go scorched earth, he goes scorched earth. And what he ends up doing in the process, it, well, I won't spoil that part for you. I've, I've kind of said enough already, but, and there, there's another, there's a family aspect to this as well. That again, I think they could have spent a little bit more time with. And his struggles with you know what happened with his in his past and with his family, we don't get a ton of that either. So I could have gotten a little bit of more of that, more of that actually. And I will say also that the relationship with his friend Philippe is a really special one, and I I I could have gotten more of that too. So there's certain things that I kind of felt like that, and I honest, honestly could have gotten more. Of the of his talents, just in general, of just watching this guy play the violin and and do his thing, we don't get enough of that. Even the the, the special person in his life from his family that I won't ruin here says to, to says to him, you know, the people miss you, they miss hearing you play. So do I. <laughs> that was how I felt while watching this movie too. It's like, yeah, can we get more of this, please? So there's some devilish characters in this thing. You really really hate what happens to Joseph Bologna in this thing. you're. This is not going to be the Marie Antoinette you're going to love either. I'm going to tell you that right now. We get so much stuff about Marie Antoinette where you love her. We've seen plenty of that, of her in movies. That This is not going to be one of them, I don't think. So, I mean, just watching his struggles, watching his rise to prominence, then watching the fall back down and how quickly that happens and just the awful, awful things that happened and not just him, but also Maria, Marie Josephine as well. And, you know, the, the kind of, you know, how does that story end sort of thing? I'll let, I'll let you watch this to kind of let that play out. But this is a middle of the road movie for me. I think it certainly could have been better. I love the fact that we're getting a little piece of history that we wouldn't have maybe otherwise gotten. And a lot of his works were lost to time because of course, you know, when Napoleon took over, A lot of his works were either destroyed or lost, so this is just, his story is just kind of starting to be told, and I think that this movie is definitely a necessary one in giving that part of French history that you might not have learned otherwise. So as a historical piece, it's definitely a necessary one. I just wish it could have been executed a little bit better. I would have maybe done things, or or liked to have seen things done a little bit. I don't make movies, so I couldn't have done it personally. There's too many talented people that do that way better, but... I could have, I would like to see this executed just a little bit better, but just to have the story told, I think was worthwhile. So Chevalier, if you're interested in French history, or if you're just a history nerd in general, or if you or if you love music or musical theater, this is something that I think is a worthwhile watch for you a piece of history that has maybe gone by the wayside that should be pushed more towards the front. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish kind of review of Chevalier from Searchlight Pictures, now available on digital HD. Actually, that's like, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Not really much nerd news this week. Like, the Crave of the Hunter trailer came out. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. We'll have to see how it kind of comes out with that. And, you know, some studios are skipping Comic-Con this year. Let's wait until there's more of a full list to talk about that. So we'll just move on with our lives for this week. And thank you so much for listening and all my great guests. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Appreciate you subscribing. Also, follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Everything always on downandnerdypodcast.com. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.